Lord, we thank you for the time you have given us this morning to listen to your word. We ask that you might help us to be good stewards of this time and do all we can to soak in the message Pastor Steve is bringing to us. Please give him clarity and help us listen knowing we are hearing your words. We ask especially that we might not leave these words within this space, but take it to shape our own words and actions this week so others might clearly see you through us. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Grab your Bible or your phone, your app. Head to Mark chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 35. You can put your finger in there and, and you know, hold off a minute. Uh, we'll get there in a second. I wonder... Last week, we talked about this idea of anxiety, and we are the most anxious set of people in existence, right? It seems like people get more and more anxious year after year after year, and there's so many people from age 20 to 72 that are anxious right now. And I wonder, in that anxiety, have you ever been in a spot where you have been so singularly focused on one thing that might be going wrong in your life, uh, focused in on, on just anything, one aspect that you somehow are missing the big picture of what is actually going on around you. I think it happens for me from time to time. I, I get so focused on dealing with maybe one set of circumstances and so on, and in all the various people that I need to contact and talk about with those, uh, about those things, that I begin making a call here and there, and, and so I begin calling some people from the church, and, and I'm like, hi, hi, Jen, how you doing? Yeah, I, I need to talk to you about this thing. How you doing? Or actually, I don't even ask that. I say, this is what we need to focus on. What do you think? And they respond, and then I hang up. And then later I found out from another person that Jen was experiencing something bad that day. My mind was so focused on what I wanted to focus on that I was losing, focusing on the big picture, on how my actions affect Jen, or how Jen had experienced that day and, and welcomed my call in a gracious way, right? Have we ever had it where, where we get so oblivious to what's going on around us that we don't know how or what is happening in the big picture? Maybe we've, we've had it where we get past a certain point, kind of like I did, and you get to this point where God shows you the big picture, he shows you what was actually taking place, and somehow it takes some reflection, and you need to be able to look back on the situation to see what was really going on, to get that full orb perspective. Maybe a lighthearted example. How many, maybe not many of you, have watched the Lego movie? More than I thought. That's great. Oh, awesome. The Lego movie, you have this character, Emmett, which I would say Emmett doesn't know the big picture, right? He doesn't know the big picture. He doesn't understand the big picture of, of the world and these, these various Lego worlds that there are, and then he starts experiencing it. 
But like in this moment of crisis, he, he, he can't really help others. He can only focus on himself, and the best thing he can focus on building is a double-decker couch. He doesn't have the big picture. While everybody else is building something to save the people, a submarine, granted they're using only the colors they want to and they're not really working as a team, he doesn't have the big picture until at the end of the movie he, he somehow gets transported to see all of the Lego basement of this family and realizing there's something bigger going on than a double-decker couch. And he gets this perspective shift of being able to see it all, seeing the big picture. And that's really, I think, what is happening in this passage that we're going to right now, that Jesus and his disciples are going to experience the big picture to see what is truly going on and who Jesus really is is. No longer are they going to be distracted by perhaps the small works that were going on, right? Uh, uh, um, A work here of Jesus healing a leper, a work here of Jesus uh, uh, restoring life, a work here of him casting out demons. These as separate occurrences. Instead, they get introduced to this bigger, larger picture. And we see that in books all the time where you start getting through a book and you start then noticing how these little pieces that were laid out throughout the book help point to actually where it was going, but maybe you didn't see it right away. So let's look at this. Mark 4, uh, verse 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke up, woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. To this point in Mark, Mark starts out, he completely omits basically Jesus' birth, and he goes straight to his baptism, and then Jesus going from town to town, showing these isolated, perhaps, incidents of, of him and his power. And, and, and people are starting to take notice. People are starting to hear about who Christ is and what he's doing based on the little different regions that Jesus was in. And and Jesus begins gathering this this following, and they they come to him on the side of this hill, 
right by the Sea of Galilee, and there's so many people that Jesus steps out onto a boat and begins preaching and teaching to this crowd from the boat as they're gathered on this side. And he, and he begins sharing small snippets of what the kingdom of God is like. He begins sharing all of these small, perhaps little parables of what the kingdom is like. Story about hiding a lamp under a basket. Story about mustard seeds that grow into big trees. And then Jesus, after saying these stories, he would say, he who has ears, let him hear. Basically saying, hopefully someone will tell you what that means. <laughs> but then Jesus would go and he would tell his disciples the meaning behind each of them. He would, he would give them more teaching, more, more closely develop what the story means in the terms of of the, the kingdom of God. He, he wanted them to see the big picture. He wanted them to understand what was taking place and the importance of God's kingdom interacting with the kingdom on earth. But it didn't seem to always take full effect in the disciples. And, and I think we do, we do a lot to uh, maybe not a lot, but sometimes we're a little harder on the disciples, I think, than we need to be. I, and I think that's because if you think about it, we, like, we have the big picture right now. And so then, then we kind of say to them, like, Peter, James, John, why didn't you like, see this, right? But we have to remember, we've got, we got to be gracious. But they didn't see the big picture. It's kind of like, I don't know if any of you have had kids before, you talk to kids, but I have kids that are nine down to one, and sometimes you look at them and you say, I don't want you to touch the stove. It's hot. And they look at you. And then they reach out their hand, right? They, they, it's, it's in there. It's somehow in there. But they didn't get the big picture. They weren't able to, to, to make the connections of, of why or what purpose or what this is for. And, and really what happens is not only were they going to be told about the kingdom, but they were going to end up experiencing it. They were going to experience the big picture. And so, let's see here. I have to make sure I'm, here we go. Yes, we're on this passage right now. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him just as he was in the boat, and there were other boats with them. So, so Jesus and his disciples, they begin to row across the Sea of Galilee. And, and so here's a picture. Uh, I was in, at the Sea of Galilee five years ago, I think. Uh, and, and here is a first century boat. It might be hard to see. It was, it was found, and, and it's got to have all these supports, otherwise it would break. It's not actually very big. It's, it's maybe a boat that could fit 15 or so people. And so you have the disciples in there, 12 plus Jesus. You have 13 people on this little boat. Here's what they're believed to look like, kind of, if it was all, all there. Sometimes it's roads. Sometimes it's, they use uh, sails. And so there's, there's all these people, Jesus and his disciples, on this boat, and they begin rowing across the lake, and, and they're pretty familiar with it because, well, 
generally fishermen are in boats, right? And so, so they generally have an idea and they have a respect for the water. You could say they could, they could know what's going on. They can generally know what to expect. And there's all of these other people around too. There's all of these other boats that are, are with them that are, are following Jesus and his disciples to the, to the other side of the lake or the sea. And when you look at the scale, and I didn't put a picture in this, when you look at the scale of the Sea of Galilee, uh, it might surprise you, it's, it's pretty tiny, okay, compared to Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan is quite a bit bigger. Anyway, look it up later. Anyway, so the storm comes up, the squall comes up, and it seems to have caused them or caught them by surprise, like there, there was was something, nothing actually, that, that caused them to see that there was this bad weather approaching. And, and honestly, it's kind of the same way today on the, the western shore of, of the Sea of Galilee in like certain parking lots and things. There's actually warning signs about what happens in these spots when the winds begin whipping up, when the storms begin whipping up. That, you know, yeah, it might look like a nice dry spot right now, but if if the weather changes like that, all of a sudden it's going to be swapped and it's going to look different. So it's, it's not something that doesn't happen today. And this big uh, storm comes up, it's waves swamping the boat, and Jesus, Jesus is sleeping. Preachers do value naps on Sunday, I've heard. Uh, I have five small children, so it doesn't happen. But Jesus is, is, is now needing some rest, and he, and he lays down in this boat, and he's sleeping. And perhaps, perhaps you think, maybe not you, but you, you might get there, but perhaps the disciples thought of another story where there was a storm and someone sleeping. The disciples had some knowledge of Scripture, and, and maybe they started reaching back in their brain, and, and there's, there's another story, and we, we had it in our series a, a couple months ago, where there's a, a guy that is running away from what he's supposed to be doing, and a furious storm arises out of nowhere, and he's sleeping down in the boat. Perhaps the disciples are wondering, okay, what is going on? You know, are we not doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we running away from something? Are we, not, are we not hearing God correctly, perhaps? That might be something going on in their mind. In that story, the sailors had to wake up Jonah, and they, they needed to end up throwing him out of the boat. Would the disciples have to do that to Jesus? But maybe there's something else going on in their mind, too. In the mind of, of so many other Jewish people in that day. The sea, a representation of evil, trying to thwart God's purposes. That was, that was one of the things that, that you, you uh, learned in, in that time period is that the sea is a symbol of the dark forces of evil which are, are trying to thwart what God has going on. We see that in the book of Daniel, the sea is where these monsters come from. And perhaps that was in the mind of the disciples as they experienced this storm. Because they were familiar with water. They were familiar with it. 
I don't think it was just the storm, but maybe it was other things going on in their mind. Recognizing what the sea is, maybe what God was doing in the time. Or maybe, in fact, they were afraid of the impending doom of the storm, that they were going to be flipped over and that they weren't going to be able to handle it. It didn't seem like they were able to row or manage the ropes the way that they they had in the past. And yet Jesus is still sleeping. So they wake him up. They, they hurry over and they, they wake him up and ask him, don't you care about what's going on right now? And then Jesus got up. He just rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, just like the storm arose, the waters are quiet. The wind dies down. The disciples experienced perhaps the big picture of God's kingdom. If the sea is a symbol of the forces of evil that are trying to destroy and thwart God's purposes in life, and Jesus just said three words and and it went away, What does that say about who Jesus is? If Jesus can stop the forces of evil with a few small words. The disciples witnessed something concrete. They had heard about it in the stories, but now they see it, that Jesus not only has power over healing the sick and power over demons, but power over nature itself and power over that which symbolizes evil. And if Jesus has power over that, then surely he's the Messiah. Then then surely Jesus himself is God. And they might be a little fearful, as Scripture says. Fearful when they realize that the presence of the Lord is right there in the boat, that they have been walking around with God the entire time that he has been doing ministry to this point, and it's something that can induce fear. We, we see it in the book of Isaiah when, when Isaiah comes before the throne and he, and he kneels down, I'm a man of unclean lips, I'm not worthy to be here. We see it as the disciples perhaps thinking, oh my word, if God was with us right now, what have, did he hear what I was thinking like five minutes ago? Does he, does he know those things I was thinking but I wasn't speaking? Does he know that I purposely ignored that person? Does he know this, that, or the other thing? All of those things that we thought we should have done differently after getting that big picture, did, did he know those? The disciples were perhaps experiencing uh, what uh, Pastor Fred Craddock, he's also an author, would say, what everybody wants and what nobody wants. To have God so present right there 
it's something that would be awesome, but then the realization of what comes with that, his knowledge of our very selves, which can be a little scary. It was okay, perhaps, for the disciples when they thought of Jesus just as a prophet who is teaching stories about the kingdom. Yeah, there's a prophet. It was okay, perhaps, when, when Jesus was healing people. Okay, yeah, he's a prophet and he's a healer, you know. And, uh, it was okay when he was, was causing uh, demons to be expelled from people. Okay, he's a prophet and he's a healer and he's a holy man causing demons to leave. But the healing or the, the, those things were one thing, but now recognizing he's God by having power over the forces of evil is another thing. They're realizing that the kingdom of God is truly coming, and with it, it's concern and it's fear, and, and they're not sure perhaps what to do. Perhaps we have those points in time in our life where we get back, we, we know the big picture, and there's times, often it comes later in life, I hear, where you wonder what kind of life you live. You start thinking back through all the years that you lived, through the decades perhaps, and you wonder, did I do the right thing there? Did I live the right life? If, if God was there with me, would, would he have appreciated how I treated these people? Or sometimes we say those people. But I think what we need to remember is though the disciples experienced great fear, trepidation perhaps, of, of truly knowing God was there with them and he knew everything about their life, that there's something else that was there as well. God's immense grace. First thing Jesus does is he gets up from the boat is not yell at them for waking him up. It's not to point out why they should have had faith. Granted, he does that at some point in time. He rebukes the wind and the waves right away, and then he says, guys, why don't you have faith? And faith isn't something that we have in ourselves. Faith is based on the faithfulness of the person, knowing that they will do what they set out to do. And if God sets out to destroy the forces of evil in our life, he will do that. And he did that. Because Jesus would, would not only go on to, to quell the forces of evil or the symbolism of it in the lake, but he would go to a cross to destroy the forces of evil that are sin and death once and for all, that all who believe in him would not be a slave to those things anymore, but that they, that they would experience peace, that they would experience life. That amidst the raging of the seas and the raging of our life and the, the difficult things that we'll go through, and, and, and it doesn't mean you're a Christian that those won't happen, it'll still happen, that in the midst of all of that, at the end of that life, there will be a blessed peace 
and rest and calmness. And there's another thing that will happen. An absence of fear. When we are present in person with the Lord, basking in his glory, worshiping him the rest of the days of our life. Jesus invites the disciples, even though they're fearful, to not have that fear. He wants them to have faith in him, trust in him. Fear is the last thing that he wants him he wants the disciples to have when in the presence of God. You see it all throughout scripture whenever angels come to humans. Do not fear. Jesus himself will say, "Do not fear." We're not to either. No matter how far we are from God, we are to not fear because Jesus himself has authority over the forces of evil and have conquered them on your behalf. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for giving us a big picture of what you're doing. We pray that we wouldn't get so focused on those, those small different aspects of our life and lose sight of the big picture. We pray that you would cause us to have open eyes to see the world as it is. To not live in fear of what you might say to us, but instead live in faith. Live in faith, trusting in the grace that you've given us. And then because that grace, Lord, we pray that we would live lives worthy of you by loving you and living for you all the days of our life, that each and every single day would be a day of worship to you, not to anything else. That each and every single day you would show us how to love and care for our neighbors just a little bit more. That each and every day you would transform our minds and continually cause us to trust more in you, to rest more in your grace, and to honor you with our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.